you're saying his, one of me. his his story isn't accurate. History isn't accurate. <gasps> Sorry, had to say that. Go ahead. Okay. His story. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome to another exciting broadcast of The Personal Wealth Coach, where we will say such things as, uh, uh, deem, deem, uh, fascinating, and, uh, and there may be other going along. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure, another personal wealth coach. The personal wealth coach is Jeff McClure. Together, we, we are bald. We did not get a chance to say our name together. No, would you like to? I'm Jake, we and you're Jeff McClure. McClure. We did it. See, I, we just have to have our video conferencing going. Otherwise, it's near impossibility because the timing isn't the way we practice it for decades. Because there's a little lag in the in the phone line. <clears throat> so this is part of the pandemic and the change that it caused the whole system. I don't know why we would go back to the studio at this point ever. Well, that's one of the things we want to talk. I want to talk about today is the fact that uh, waiting for things to get back to normal, you may be waiting a long time. Or you may just look around and say, oh, this is normal. <laughs> so uh, we got some disclosures to give before we start talking about fun things like what is normal. And why we are not that. We, most people that listen to our program know we're not normal. So that's fine. We, just, we will never get back to normal because we've never been there. But uh, the first disclosure we will give before continuing. Well, I guess that was the first disclosure. We are not normal. Second disclosure. Uh, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of this radio program, but it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. And the two people talking on the air, Jeff and Jake, are the principals at that firm. An SEC-registered investment advisor firm gives fiduciary investment advice. That's in the best interest of the client, and we can't do that on the air. We have to give educational information rather than advice because we don't know everybody out there. On top of that, just so now that we've said that we have a business associated with us, we're obligated to say that. We don't get paid to do this program. We also don't pay to do the program. We've been doing this, you've been doing it since 96, right at the end of the year, 1996. That was another century, another millennium. And I've been doing it since 1998. Again, another century and another millennium. Uh, although I did participate in a minor way in 96 and 97 by occasionally going with you to the studio and watching in mute horror as the microphone light turned on. Um, yeah, but that was, that's, uh, those are my disclosures. I still have a mute horror button here. Yeah. You mute horror button. Yes. I punch it. If I get too that, horrible, I just punch yeah. it and I go mute. Mute horror. Um, they need to make it like a sickly yellow color instead of red. It's just like a makes sense. Orange yellow puce color, something like that. 
Anyway, are you going to deem for us? I might as well. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. You say that so well every time. You can, you, we can obviously tell you take pride in not deeming things. I do. I do. As a matter of fact, I will also say that the future is always uncertain. So any comments we make about the future are uncertain because we cannot, nobody can tell you what's going to happen in the future. Or you could say we it can, a little bit differently. Predictions are always uncertain, especially about the future. Yeah. Yogi Berra, throw that in there. Because the future sort of is just like, not. That's a sort of road. That's close to road, Yogi yeah, Berra. Not yeah, quite. Not quite. The future is just not like what it used to be. Or that's also right. almost. So I put a like in there. The future is just not what it used to be. It's true. It's true. Very, That's very true. All right. So what happened this week in the market and elsewhere? What's the news of the week? Well, if one just had the economy to deal with, and we'll talk about that during the rest of the radio program, the stock market would be very pleasantly up this week. We think. Um, matter of fact, it was up through Wednesday and was doing very well and was headed, was right, closed in on 4,500. And then... Not too surprisingly to me, but apparently to the people who uh, don't have good memories or didn't study their history very well in school, um, it turned out that uh, Russia's so-called pullback from the border really wasn't a pullback from the border. It was a reinforcement of the border. Um, and as a result, the market went into a bit of a, a funk. Um, and it was down one point, the S and P 500 was down 1.58% for the week, uh, at 43, 48.87 and is down 8.76 so far this year. Now eight point down 8.76 this year, that's significant, but it's still up 11.32% from this time last year. So an 11% rise in the S and P 500 in a 12 month period still looks pretty good. But we're near, nearing correction territory yes, with that drop interestingly. Side. Well, it's the second time this year we've gotten near to correction, which is down 10%. And one of the things, and we've discussed this before, and I was at one time certified as an intelligence analyst. Um, I can tell you that. Which, I, which as, is a certification of non-intelligence, right? Is that? The, no, 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 no. That's an intelligence. Cert you have been certified as being intelligent. That's, no, is recognizing no. as being able to convert information into intelligence. Ah. It doesn't mean I am intelligent. Oh, into intelligence. Okay. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. All right. All right. You're making uh, no claim of actually being intelligent, just knowing intelligence. Gotcha. We gotcha. had to get that out there. Me too. Um, were I still in the intelligence analyst business working for the government, I would say there's a better than 90% probability that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. There are no certainties about the future. If it does, and this is something that any investor needs to bear in mind, history suggests strongly that the stock market will enter into a correction immediately because a lot of people are going to be scared. Fear does that. Yeah, we're already at that kind of cusp. So right. have that and push us right over the little brink and we'll have a, we'll have a correction likely. And I want, But I want to state something fairly clearly. This has happened a lot of times in the past. Uh, where there has been a geopolitical event causing a market correction. We had one on 9-11, 
But eight months later, the market was back up to where it was before and rising nicely from that point. There's another, um, well, it's less political, more geo event in March of 2020. Pandemic hit. hit. Mm -hmm. External geopolitical events. Um, historically, tend to get ex get associated in our brains with bear markets, but they almost inevitably have nothing to do with bear markets. And when you go back and look at the actual data and the actual way the market behaved, they had nothing to do with each other. It's just that two things happened, uh, and we link them together in our brains, and we make a story out of it, and generally the story is inaccurate. So the point the point, and maybe we'll say this several times well, during the radio program. You're saying his, his his story isn't accurate. History isn't accurate. <gasps> Sorry, had to say that. Go ahead. Okay. His story. Yeah, I got <laughs> it. The point is that presuming that Russia does invade Ukraine, expect a major market correction as silly people bail out of the market, and then more silly people follow them and bail further out of the market. Also recognize that historically, such an event has been, as sad as it is, good for stock values over a longer period of time. The depression, John, we've, we've mentioned this before, but John Templeton, arguably the greatest investor of the 20th century, um, Sir John Templeton, made his first major foray into the stock market in 1938. And, and we right. mentioned in the newsletter this week that this looks a lot like 1938 because he saw that World War II was coming and he saw that it would end the depressed economic state that the world was in as people geared up for war. A lot of things are causing problems in the United States and in the world today. And very frankly, as much as I really, 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 really do not want to see Russia invade Ukraine and start a path that looks amazingly like Hitler's move into Czechoslovakia and later into Ukraine, I do believe that it is positive economically. And that is, I'm not saying that, and please do not consider for a second that I think this is a good way to raise the economic status of the world or anything else. Because down that road lies a nightmare. But if it happens, don't panic and bail out. That's the important thing to recognize. The United States economy is cooking long, and we'll talk about that. But yes. let's look at the numbers again on the market. That's what we're supposed to be talking about right now. The CRSP mid-cap value index, the other thing we follow besides the S&P 500, um, has been gaining for the last several weeks, but it dropped 1.2% this week. Now, it's worth looking at the fact that the, the, the S&P 500 was down 1.58 and the CRSP was down 1.2. It's down 3.38% so far this year, closed at 2509.59. And again, note that it's down 3.38. The S&P 500 is down 8.76. Why is that important? We have been looking for, for the last year, a rotation out of large cap growth stocks into mid cap value stocks. And we've seen it, it's happening. Uh, so it's nice to know that we're, we're being consistent with history at this point in historical cycles, this type of thing has typically happened and it is continuing to happen. Uh, interest rates didn't do very much. They, the 10 year U S treasury note, interest rate yield climbed 
0.47%. It's now at 1.929%, just below 2%. But the 30-year Treasury climbed 2.38. Um, climbed to 2.38 for the week, uh, in the middle of the week, but it dropped back to 2.249. Why is that important? Is that Treasury 30-year yield is higher than the 10-year yield. That's important. And the short-term yields are still very, very, very low. So we still have a positive yield curve, which is important to watch out for. As long as we have a positive yield curve, there is a high probability that there's no hint of recession in, in front of us. And we watch that pretty carefully. Interest rates, as I said, did what they did. Not much during the week. Um, West Texas Intermediate crude declined 2.22% to $91.82. Now, if there's a war about to pop up, and Russia being one of the uh, big suppliers of oil to the world, and a war would probably cut off that supply, why would, it, why would uh, petroleum futures fall? Well, very simply, the $91 number, $91, $92 has already got the high, almost certain probability of a war with Russia or a war in yeah. which Russia is, Priced in. <clears throat> is to some degree embargoed from supplying oil to the rest of the world. And other, remember, it was $60 a barrel not very long ago. And it was hovering in the $60 range and it's gradually cranked up to the 90 some dollar range, which simply says that people who invest in oil futures and who buy and sell oil professionally have concluded that there is going to be a pretty severe shortage of oil sometime in the near future. And it, it has a lot to do with the inflation numbers we've seen coming out. The price of oil this year, just this year, is up 27%. And just about everything we do in the United States or elsewhere in the world involves transportation. Uh, anything that we provide, whether it's food at a restaurant or getting to or from the restaurant or uh, products that you purchase either online or in stores, involves tra transporting those products from one place to another. And with oil up 27%, that's a big piece of what's going on in inflation right now. Uh, the other pieces have to do with the supply chain, and we can get into that later too. But um, that's pretty much the markets. Yeah, That leads into an interesting discussion. I was a little surprised that I've received some telephone calls from people uh, who are concerned about inflation. And it probably because they remember the inflation of the 1980s, old folks right. like me. right. Let me say that I, I want to reiterate the fact that at least we believe that this inflationary jump is temporary and probably will be gone by the end of the year. There's no certainties in anything. And it's there for a couple of very good reasons. Um, one of them is the cost of oil, which has risen dramatically, and it's partially due to what's going on in, in Europe right now. The other one is we've had a massive shift in the way we spend money in the United States. And we shifted to buying stuff rather than services. And in the process, we basically took a system that was operating very efficiently at nearly 100% capacity, which is what it's designed to do because that's, it's more efficient if it operates at nearly 100% capacity and strained it beyond its capacity so that there was a shortage of things and we wanted to buy them and we wanted them now. Uh, you want to know who's generating inflation? By the way, it's not the government. It's not the Federal Reserve. If it were, 
then we wouldn't get the warning that the British government issued to its people this last week that they are expecting 7.9% year-over-year inflation within a month or two. Right now, well, it's at record be, highs. That's because when Biden, 6%. Biden was elected as the uh, prime minister of the UK, right? No. No, no. no. nor was Trump. It's amazing that we, we tend and, to give plain, blame to the people in charge, but if it's happening globally and everybody's trying different ar- approaches to it, but it's still happening globally, you really can't blame the people at, at the at the helm and well you can having some they're also having significant inflation in Europe in the main part of Europe however uh, simply because their economies are not functioning particularly well right now they're not having the same level of inflation that we're having but they're still having high inflation so this inflation first off is temporary secondly uh, it is uh, being generated by the pandemic in essence and by the shift in spending that occurred because of the pandemic. There's an interesting thing to look at, by the way, and I think it's very important. The highest level of inflation that we saw prior to the pandemic was in healthcare. Healthcare year over year is up 1.1%. Yeah, it's one of the lowest level, and college is, was the second most inflated mm-hmm. area, and it's now the second least inflated area. So underlying inflation, the, the, the core inflation hasn't happened. Now, why then do we have inflation in food? Uh, well, there's a two very good reasons that the price of food is up dramatically. Actually, three good reasons. One is it's costing a lot more to move things around. Two, at the present moment, particularly looking back into January, we had a lot of people out sick with Omicron. And people who handle food tend to bump into each other a lot and spread the disease very quickly. Three, during the actual worst part of Delta, for example, Food processing facilities got hit the hardest, and there's a big lag in in the time that you produce food and to the time it gets to the table because it takes a while to grow animals. It takes a while to grow crops, and so there's this lag and this surge and this retreat, and it's working its way through the system. One more to throw in because anytime we're talking, especially produce, it's winter. What? Yeah, I know, which means that if if you're eating tomatoes or turnips or cabbage it was either grown inside or it was shipped from another hemisphere and you already mentioned that that fuel prices are part of this and you got to transport food around but more of our produce is transported during the winter when it's scarcest so a lot of times they'll seasonally adjust it but you really can't seasonally adjust this one other thing avocados are something i've used we use this when talking about trade war stuff. We use this when talking about different areas. We've just stopped all imports of avocados from Mexico, which is our number one uh, importer. And it's because there there's a disease and it needs to be handled. But things like that, avocados are one of the things that are in the basket of goods that is being measured by the CPI. The CPI is measuring a bunch of stuff, but avocados are one that we, for a while, we saw a very normal, almost a smooth curvature of up and down during the year, very predictable. Uh, and there's a, the, one of the highest moments of price for avocados, by the way, every year is right about this time of the year. 
and it's not so much about winter, although that's there. It's because of the Super Bowl. There is a massive demand for avocados around the Super Bowl. It is measurable, very, very easily measurable. It is not quite as much of a spike as turkey around Thanksgiving, but it's right up there. So there is a seasonal side to this as well. It's a big one. And this is something, again and again and again, I get surprised when people hear that bad weather slows the economy down. If we just talk about it more, I think people would hear it. When we were directly attached to the weather as a people and agriculture in the 19th century, at the end of the 19th century, 80% of our population was in agriculture. And they knew without any qualms, without any question, that weather affected their economics. Now most of us work inside, and we do the same work on a rainy day as we do on a dry day. But we often don't do the same work on a snow day as we do on a not snow day. But not, yes, a, and, but not a snot snow day. That's a different thing. That's, yeah. that's, that's gross, and who would even think that? Well, I was going to say something about a, a big picture. We, house sales are up, but the, we have the lowest supply relative sales of housing available to continue to purchase into the future That since we've been keeping records on these things, which, by the way, indicates that housing sales are about to plummet Yeah, for two reasons. One, interest rates on mortgages are going up, and the house prices will start to fall as a result. And, what I and said, secondly, there's just not a lot of houses for sale. What I said last week is true. They're under construction right now is a record number of houses. Mm-hmm. So when that, when that hits the market, there's another, the supply issue goes away. Right. And, and that's just part of the big picture that's going on all over the place. We've had this big supply and demand seesaw that probably will affect the way we look at things for a long time. I just wanted to, to, to give folks, if anyone's listening, a little piece of the big picture we've mentioned before. There is a fundamental belief that drives the United States of America, mythology, if you will, about our westward expansion and manifest destiny and American exceptionalism. There's a lot of truth to it and there's a lot of myth to it, but we have some fundamental beliefs in the United States that drive what we're doing. And I won't go into those. I will say that the fundamental beliefs, the fundamental cultural beliefs that drive much of the rest of the world are very, very, very different. When, we, when I lived over there, I researched this, and I've researched it since, and it, it is profoundly true. Russia, Germany, and France each believe that they are the rightful heirs of the Roman Empire down at the root of their psychological collective beings and should properly rule Europe. And it drives everything they're doing to reunite Europe and the Pax Romana. Uh, Russia, prior to, prior to World War II, was ruled by a czar. That's short for the Latin for Caesar. Caesar. Or and as they fact, pronounce it in Latin was Kaiser, which was also the title of the... The German, the rule of Germany. Right. Up in, in World War One. For instance, and actually, Tsar Nicholas was a direct descendant of the final Caesar, the final emperor of Rome. Uh, Although the Tsar Tsar Nicholas was related by marriage to someone who claimed to have been related to the last uh, emperor of Constant in Constantinople. mm -hmm. So, I mean, they both had claims to Rome. 
You've, Moscow is known as the Tsar, third Tsar Rome. Nicholas was a descendant, but Kaiser Wilhelm, I think you're talking about, no, right? Tsar Nicholas was not a direct descendant. He was descended through marriage. The last okay. descendant, his his dynasty was like 300 years. There was a dynasty before him that was 800 okay. years that he was connected but, through marriage. But they're all the claiming they're lying back. Right. That's what Moscow is the third Rome, is Constantinople being the second, which is now in Istanbul. And Kaiser Wilhelm meant Caesar Wilhelm. And Germany was the last leader of the Holy Roman Empire, the last place where the Holy Roman Emperor was. France traces its heritage back to the Roman Republic. Um, and there's a deep, deep, deep psychological belief among each of those three populations that they should be ruling Europe. Now, let's throw another one in. China is the Middle Kingdom, the center of the world. Right. And has the right to rule everything within sight. This is deep in the culture, right? These are deeply enculturated things and tend to drive nations to do things that otherwise would seem to be irrational. And when chaos descends upon nations, they tend, their leaders, if they're going to be effective and stay in power, tend to come back to these deep held heritage positions. As a matter of fact, we've done it in the United States. The United States was filled with people from the beginning who were fleeing tyranny, who were fleeing people who took weapons away from us. And so there is a core in the United States that says, you can have my gun when you pry it out of my cold, dead fingers. Right. That's because of our ancient heritage and the belief in having rights to your own property and not having... Uh, somebody else tell you what you can do on your own property is fundamental to the United States. It is not fundamental to the rest of the world. And it's amazing if you go live anywhere else, anywhere in Europe, for example, and you realize that people don't have that fundamental belief. Um, they're different than we are. And that people have asked me, why, why in the world would Russia want to take Ukraine? Well, there's economic reasons, there's military reasons, but above all, it, tends to satisfy the people of Russia that their leader is fulfilling what we would consider manifest destiny. We use that term a lot. That, and, and it drives what they're doing and unfortunately has led to a series of world wars and may be well on the way to doing the next one. We'll right. see. Yeah. Now, I mentioned housing and housing starts, home starts. Um, this is a Census Bureau thing. They get this data by going to counties and metropolitan regions to get permits. So they look for new permits being issued for new construction. And they have a, this is, this is one of those statistics that's actually pretty good because each metropolitan area is incentivized. They get paid for these things by you when you go to build a house or by whomever is building the house. And when I say there's a record number of houses under construction, the annual data, <clears throat> the uh, units are measured in thousands. So when I say 876, I'll just say 876,000. In 2018, annually, the whole year, single family units, there were 876,000 homes constructed. In 2019, 888,000. 2020, 990,000. We'll put a timeout on that. We had a big jump there, like 100,000 new homes above the year before in 2020. 
this is the year that people were talking about we have low low housing supply and so on. It's because for several years before that, we hadn't made a huge amount. We just basically made replacement houses. There was a lot of talking after the Great Recession about millennials never getting houses, and eventually they started getting houses. All of this, by the way, is worth going back to our radio programs from uh, go back to 2014 and 15 and listen to us talk about how the millennials will start buying houses eventually because every generation eventually does, and when they do, there will be a shortage of houses and housing prices will go up. We're now talking the other end of that swing. It's going the other way now. In 2021, and this is still based on an estimate, but it's not going to be grossly off because it is based on actual permits. Estimates are not revised that much. 1,126,000. That's 230,000 more homes than last year, the 2020, which was also a record year. We're talking about making 300,000 plus new homes a year off of the average from the late 2000 teens. What does that mean? It means that we got a lot of houses coming on the market soon. Um, that the rate of increase is enough that a lot of builders are just expecting, well, that's what you do. So when we talk about interest rates going up, that makes houses more expensive. And not enough houses there right now, which makes houses more expensive. Those two things are pricing people out of the market. And as more houses hit the market, we may see a drop in the value of the houses for more houses hitting the market and interest rates going up. And this, we've talked about this in the past, but it's worth saying again, people don't buy a house based on the sticker price. They don't buy a, it, say, I want to buy a $300,000 house. They want to buy a house that has a mortgage with taxes and everything that they can afford. And that monthly number is really the number, whether that's 1,500 or 2,000, that's the real number. Interest rates go up, that number goes up for the same price. So that means the price has to drop if people are pricing it based on the monthly payment. And that's nearly universal. So just be aware that in the next several years, we shouldn't expect used cars or used houses to appreciate at the rate that they have. And do you want to do a, like a 30-second recap? Sorry, I took so much on that. Well, the market took a bit of a dip this week. It dropped down to, it's down, down about eight and a half percent from where it started the year where it was high. The Russian potential invasion of Ukraine is weighing on the market, but the rest of the economy, the underlying economic numbers look very, very good. The leading economic indicators did drop just a little bit this, this month or in January, but that was clearly a COVID sur Omicron surge that drove that and nothing else. And uh, it looks like every indication is that the United States economy is spinning up very nicely. We are not facing a recession. Uh, the one big threat that's on the horizon right now that seems to be credible is a, a Russian invasion of Ukraine. But that would probably that, in our opinion, would be a temporary event. Right. And hopefully no big outbreak of Delta of uh, covid in China.
you'd like to talk to us off the air, we've got a voicemail waiting locally at 254-947-1111. Or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can contact us there through the contact form or through email. Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. And you can go anywhere that offers podcasts to hear more of our semi-not-so-melodious voices talking sometimes in unison. Um, Bald guys on podcasts are more palatable. Let me see how many senses I can bring into the same conversation.